0: It was a typical day on June 13th, 1983 in Anchorage, Alaska when a young woman was seen running barefoot and handcuffed down a main street fleeing for her life. Though confused onlookers didn't know it at the time, this shocking incident would prove to be a catalyst in exposing a string of deplorable and barbaric crimes and shedding light on a hidden serial killer. What is up, EWU Crew? Today, we are exploring the case of a prolific serial killer who operated in the 1970s and 80s in Alaska. No one suspected the double life he led or that he could commit such elaborate and depraved crimes, allowing him to go uncaught for over a decade. Today, we are talking about the Butcher Baker. Now, let's get into it. Robert Hansen was born in 1939 in Estherville, Iowa. Robert had a rather difficult adolescence as he was known to be incredibly shy and suffered from both a difficult stutter and severe acne, which left permanent scars on his skin as an adult. As he was short, quiet, and awkward, Robert was a loner all throughout his school years, something which he later sought revenge for to cope with his lack of friends and constant rejection from the girls around him, Robert turned to hunting and archery as a form of escape. Part of the refuge Robert found in hunting was fantasizing about hurting the cruel girls at his school who he grew up to fiercely hate for their constant dismissal of him. In 1960, on December 7th, Robert took his much desired revenge on his loathsome high school, by burning down a Pocahontas County school bus garage. He was arrested for arson and served 20 months of his three year sentence. He had only just gotten married in the summer of 1960, but while he was locked up, the woman filed for divorce. It was while he was in prison that Robert was diagnosed with manic depressive disorder, what we know today to be bipolar. He also suffered from occasional schizophrenic episodes. The psychiatrist who diagnosed him also said that he believed Robert had an infantile personality, a disorder which is often characterized by a desire for control and domination through making those he targeted suffer. Robert was obsessed with getting vengeance on the people he believed had wronged him a twisted preoccupation that would later lead him down a dark and disturbed path. In 1963, Robert married Darla Hansen, who was a devout Christian woman and teacher. For a while, this relationship appeared to be a turning point in his life, though he was still arrested a few times for petty theft. The couple eventually moved to Anchorage, Alaska, where Robert opened and operated his own bakery following the same career as his domineering father, who had also worked as a baker. Robert and Darla expanded their family and welcomed two children while they settled into the Anchorage community. Reportedly, Robert was popular among his neighbors as he was seen as unassuming and shy, if a bit awkward around women. He became especially well-liked because he thrived among the hunting community there and even set several local records for his hunting achievements. Robert appeared in a hunting magazine for his prowess. And in 1971, he even achieved a world record for killing the biggest doll sheep ever with a bow. Robert's family weren't the only ones drawn to Alaska in the 1970s. The 800 mile Trans-Alaska oil pipeline was at the height of its construction during this time and its building drew a variety of people to the area. Prostitutes, exotic dancers, pimps, and drug dealers were among those who also went to Alaska, seeking quick riches among the construction workers. One such person who moved to Alaska was 17-year-old Cindy Paulson. Cindy had come to Anchorage with her boyfriend and to make money working as a prostitute and dancer. It was in this occupation that Cindy came across a seemingly tongue-tied small man named Robert Hansen. On June 13th, 1983, Robert pulled up his car along the side of the road where Cindy stood. He offered her $200 to get into the vehicle with him. And though she hesitated, knowing better than to trust a strange man wanting to take her somewhere, Cindy eventually got in. But in an instant, Cindy realized her gut feeling had been right. Robert immediately pulled out a gun and forced her into handcuffs. Under threat of being shot, Cindy cooperated as Robert drove her to his home in Muldoon. Once at the house, Robert chained Cindy up by her neck in his basement and proceeded to torture and assault her. To Cindy's further shock, Robert appeared to be so at ease with her kidnapping and assault that he eventually took a nap on a couch beside her. When he woke, as if unable to help his need to brag, Robert started to show Cindy some of the many trophies he owned from his hunting exploits. Cindy quickly realized that if he was allowing her to see his real name, he planned to kill her. She knew she had to escape, it was only a matter of getting the chance. Eventually, Robert forced Cindy back into his vehicle and he took them to the local Merrillfield Airport where he had his own plane waiting to take them to his remote cabin on the Knick River. As he loaded the plane, Robert told Cindy not to move from where he left her in handcuffs and sitting in the front seat or he would shoot her. But when he turned his back, Cindy realized this was likely her only chance to escape alive, and so she took off running, but not before she cleverly hid her blue sneakers in the car's back seat to prove that she had been taken in the vehicle. Barefoot and handcuffed, Cindy ran for the nearest street. Robert chased after, screaming at her and brandishing his gun, but she flagged down a nearby truck before he caught her. The driver was shocked to see the disheveled young woman running for her life and welcomed her into his car. Seeing that Cindy was gone, Robert ran back to his vehicle, abandoning his planned flight and took off. The security guard at the airfield hadn't seen the ordeal with Cindy, but did watch Robert speeding away and thought it was rather odd. And so he wrote down his license plate. The truck driver tried to convince Cindy to go to the police, but after being in Robert's clutches for five hours, she was too traumatized. She asked to be dropped off at the mush Inn, where she begged the clerk at the desk to call her boyfriend, where he was staying at the Big Timber Motel. Meanwhile, disturbed by the barefoot and handcuffed girl he'd stumbled across, the truck driver called the police shortly after dropping Cindy off to tell them what he had seen. The Anchorage police tracked Cindy to the Big Timber Motel where they found her alone, distressed, and still handcuffed. Cindy described what had happened to her, told the police that Robert Hansen had taken her, described his car, house, and gun, and even showed them the plane that Robert had planned to take. Despite all of these specific details, the police were skeptical of her story. They knew Robert, as the local police frequented his bakery, where the small man would offer them free desserts and coffee any time that they came in. The officers liked Robert, and so, even with the abundance of evidence, they gave him the benefit of doubt. They had contacted Robert when Cindy identified him, but he claimed that she was lying about the extent of what had happened between them, because he had refused to pay her for her services. With his unassuming shy demeanor, small stature, and reputation as a family man and friendly hunter, Robert convinced the police of his innocence. With no empathy for Cindy at all, likely because of her occupation, her case went cold. Crimes like the one Cindy suffered weren't uncommon in the area. In fact, during this period, disappearances and murders seemed to be rampant. Detective Glenn Floth, an Alaskan state trooper, was part of an investigating team looking into a string of murders surrounding the Anchorage area. The first body had been found on the side of the Eklutna Road by construction workers and was later dubbed the Eklutna Annie because her identity was never uncovered. Following this, Joanna Messina's body was found in a gravel pit and then a partially buried foot was found near the Knick River, which led police to the hidden body of 23-year-old Sherry Morrow. With three bodies, all with similar injuries from rifles, Floth believed that there was a serial killer living in the area, targeting the most vulnerable women as all of the victims were prostitutes or dancers. Requiring help to catch the killer, Floth enlisted the help of the FBI who created a criminal psychological profile to help him narrow down his suspects. FBI agent, John Douglas, the real man behind the popular show Mindhunter wrote a profile which said that the murderer had to be an experienced killer, someone with low self-esteem, a hatred for women and could have a speech disorder such as stuttering The profile also assumed that the killer would keep trophies from his victims. Floath created a list of suspects who matched the FBI profile and worked through it until he came to Robert and Cindy's testimony against him. Unlike the other police, Floath had no problem investigating Robert. And when the man's house was finally searched, jewelry belonging to some of the victims was discovered. Furthermore, behind his bed's headboard, the police found an aeronautical chart covered in multiple X marks in more than 20 different places. When the investigators looked closer, they found that some of the X's matched the spots where the three bodies were found. Investigators went out into the wilderness and searched the other spots on the chart. With each place they checked, they uncovered more bodies. Four months after he had attacked Cindy, Robert was finally arrested. It was only then that the details of Robert's extensive crimes came to light. In December, 1971, Robert had been arrested on two separate occasions. The first was for abducting and attempting to assault a housewife and the second for the assault of a woman working as a prostitute. He had been sentenced to five years but only served six months. Following these incidents, Robert began his killing spree in 1972. At first, Robert targeted any woman who caught his attention, but soon he realized he was living in the perfect place for his dark deeds. Anchorage attracted many runaways, most of whom were young women seeking a place to make money. His targets became young exotic dancers and prostitutes usually between 16 and 19 years old. Robert looked for the women who were hard to track and often weren't noticed when they went missing. Because Robert worked long and irregular hours in the bakery, as well as being an avid hunter, his wife Darla was never alarmed by the odd times that he would leave their house. She never once suspected any of the deplorable deeds her husband got up to while he was out. Robert had long thought of himself as a hunter. It had been the part of his identity that brought him the most pride. Because of this, he viewed his victims as the ultimate prey to hunt. He abducted his victims and would force them to remote places. Sometimes Robert would assault them before bringing them back to Anchorage and letting them go, but only after threatening to kill them if they ever went to the police. But on other occasions, Robert would fulfill the sick fantasy he had been nurturing since he was young. Sometimes Robert would release the women he abducted into the isolated wilderness, such as the Knick River, before he would hunt them down with a rifle while they tried to escape before he shot them dead. Robert gained a deranged sense of satisfaction and domination through the twisted hunting games he would play with his victims. In his mind, he was hunting these women just like animals in the wild. For over a decade, Robert went uncaught and unpunished for his horrific crimes. During the investigation, he gained the nickname, the Butcher Baker. Under intense interrogation, Robert slowly admitted to each murder, totaling to 17 women, though only 12 bodies were ever found he refused to admit to a few of the exes on his chart and denied being the one to kill some of the women whose bodies were recovered from the exes on the chart. Robert's twisted explanations and attempted justification for his killings are disturbing to say the least. He reportedly told authorities that he only killed bad girls and would never hurt, quote, good women. In a chilling quote from his confession, Robert told officers about his thoughts on women saying, every one of them becomes so precious to me cause I wanted their, I wanted their friendship. I wanted them to like me so much. He also detailed his bizarre and disgusting selection process for his victims, saying that he would go to bars and wait for the dancers to make the first move. It's like, it's like it was a game, he explained. They had to pitch the ball before I could bat." Robert said he didn't look down on dancers, quote, "'Just trying to make a buck,' but that once a woman propositioned him, he felt they were no longer a decent girl and, sadly, would choose them for his next victims with little remorse. Though he admitted to assaulting at least 30 women and likely killing between 17 to 21 others, he was only convicted for four of the murders as part of a deal to avoid 17 separate trials. The Butcher Baker was sentenced to serve 461 years plus life without the possibility of parole. During Robert's trial, Cindy stayed with a friend in a safe house. Following his conviction, Cindy left Anchorage and reportedly went on to get married and have three children. Cindy was the only one of Robert's victims who he intended to kill that escaped his clutches. Because of her, he was caught. In 2014, Robert died at age 75 from natural health conditions. As Alaska's most notorious serial killer, Robert's savage crimes were turned into the film, The Frozen Ground in 2013, which starred Nicolas Cage and John Cusack. You may also recognize Robert's crimes from an episode of Criminal Minds, where his abduction and M.O. of hunting women was an inspiration for one of the show's unsubs in the first season.